All right, we've been recording for 20 seconds. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast. Today, I got a cameraman, a very knowledgeable, informational camera guy on my podcast. His name is Jordan Riley. He works with Captured Creative, and he spends like 365 days a year behind a camera or working on video editing and i know video editing <laughs> takes up a lot of time but uh but today we're going to talk about cameras uh, i get a lot of questions on it and i'm i know what i like i know what i've used but i wanted to get somebody on that is much more knowledgeable than me and we can kind of go back and forth and hopefully answer a ton of uh your guys's questions on cameras because with Instagram and social media, everyone wants to fill in their hunts, right? <laughs> right? They're becoming, I mean, do you get that question a ton, Jordan, too? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, but I'm always up for gear talk at the same time. So I'm always, yeah. there's, I mean, everything is always changing. There's constantly new gear being released. And, you know, you hear like these rumor sites with new gear coming out. So, sure. Yeah. It's never, it's never, it's never a bad question. Sometimes <laughs> when you get the same question, 30 times in a day it's a little monotonous but it's always right it's always fun nah i believe it uh do you do you cry every time a new piece of gear comes out because your <laughs> just, bank well, account is just gonna i, I go don't down. my bank account maybe does <laughs> yeah you gotta <laughs> you have money uh, you gotta spend it sometimes right <laughs> right that's why you make it <laughs> you don't make it to save it um all right so why don't you why don't we start out with uh who kind of talk about yourself, what, what capture creative does, and then, um, kind of who you guys work for and what you guys do. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. I am, uh, part of a agency, I guess you'd call it small agency called captured creative. We are based here in central Minnesota. Um, but the team is kind of spread out depending on the project. Um, there's, you know, right now, I guess you could almost say that there's five of us, um, at least contract-based working on certain projects. But we um, provide any kind of de- digital and uh, media-type work for companies who may need it, uh, working on content for brands um, such as you know photography, video work. Uh, we also do like social media management and, and a lot of other stuff like that for a handful of brands as well. So there's, there's always something going on. There's always something to be doing. Nice. So then like you guys take it through the full process of like, if somebody calls you, I know one of your clients is uh, first light, right? Yep. So you work with first light and do they just call you up and do they have an idea for a project or do you guys, do they go, Hey, we need something cool. Can you guys come up with some project ideas or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess for a lot of brands that we work with, it's just kind of like a, like a rolling relationship. Um, Brands like, you know, First Light, Vortex, Matthews, uh, for instance, um, it's kind of like a a year round that we're providing them photos, um, you know, that pertain to the time of year. Um, And then on top of like a lot of those relationships, for instance, First Light, um, they will hire us to do specific jobs. Um, So like right now, we're kind of right in the middle of helping them release all of their 2020 gear that's coming out that we shot last fall, um, pre-release. So they have all their you know, marketing assets kind of shot, you know, the fall prior after, you know, all their, all their like clothing work is done on their end. Then we'll come in sure. and shoot for a week or however long it is, um, a couple times throughout the fall and, um, then kind of craft it to whatever assets they're going to need for that. Got it. Okay. So then you guys do all the photos, all videos, do you guys, and then you do the full editing. So it's kind of like a turnkey package from you guys back to the customer. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, okay. and there's always a little bit of variance depending on the client and you know, what's, what's needed. We've done shoots before where we just provide footage and it's going to be edited by somebody else. Um, it's all just kind of how flexible you can be. And, you know, there's, especially in the outdoor industry, working with brands, it's such a small world. Like everybody knows everybody or they know somebody who knows everybody. So, it's just sure. kind of it's like a big team basically you kind of have to have that concept going into it it's in order for a lot of this stuff to work especially i mean strip it away from the outdoor industry side of things it's it's a small business that we're running um as is yeah. everybody who does content so you kind of have to be aware of your surroundings that way and 
able to be a little bit flexible at the same time. No, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the reason I kind of ask that is to let people have like that holistic picture of what you guys do. It's not like all you do is take some photos and then give them to somebody else and you don't yeah. do anything else, right? You do yeah. the whole thing for everybody. Yeah, start to finish for right just about everything for sure. Yep. Yeah, and that's got to be like, like you were just saying for flexibility, that's got to be a big value add. Like, you know, I can imagine it's difficult for somebody who doesn't do, I only do photos, I don't do any video. Or I only do yep. video, I don't do any photos. And I don't do any editing or something like that. Like that's got to be tough, a tougher sell. Versus yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of value in skills that you can bring to the table. Um, yeah. Like real, like attainable, like, you know, especially if you're if you're doing it to get paid you better be doing it at a professional level basically you know if you can't <laughs> yeah. you can't watch one tutorial on youtube and you know call yourself a video editor and start editing for a big company and expect good results out of that <laughs> you're probably going <laughs> to you're probably going to find yourself in a little bit of trouble right um, but yeah. you have to start yeah. somewhere at the same time too so there's mm -hmm. there's definitely a balance of you know not to be discouraging at all um i mean i'm for the most part for video editing i'm self taught too it's just taken you know, six years to get to this point. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Uh, okay. So I just want to kind of, now that we kind of got your background laid out a little bit, uh, the number one question that I'm sure like you get answered all the time or asked all the time is like, if I'm filming, filming whitetail hunts, what should I buy? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the, mil the million dollar question, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure that's what a lot of people who are listening to this, like, that's the question. It's like, what should I buy? So yeah. I personally have structured it based on a budget. Like if people ask me that, I go structure based on a budget. So is that how you do it too? That's, I mean, there's obviously, there's a bunch of different things that you can lay out. I tell people the same thing, like come up with your budget. Like you're going to spend, you know, $2,000 on a full kit for a camera. Like what can you get for that price point? Um, I think that's the smartest way, especially if you're just starting out too, because there's going to be stuff that is really expensive. That's probably unnecessary for a, a certain skill set at a certain point in time. Um, if you're just starting, you don't need to go out and drop $6,000 on a one DX Mark II body, <laughs> you know, like kind of cheer <laughs> right. yourself down to something that, uh, you know, and the thing is too, at every price point, there's very capable kits, camera kits that you can buy. Um, and obviously, as you know, too, there's a bunch of different brands and, and that sort of thing too. But, um, all that being said, I guess for like the whitetail space, I started on a crop sensor DSLR. I bought a Nikon D 7,000 back in 2012, I think it was. Okay. Um, and I, I remember I just bought the straight up kit and a 51.8 lens. And I think the price for everything for that was like 1500 bucks. Um, and I, I mean, that was kind of the building block of everything. Um, even with a, you know, thousand dollar, $1,500 kit, you can start learning the basics that'll really get you rolling and really carry you through a lot. Sure. So, okay. Let's, uh, for a budget, let's like do some interval budgets. Okay. Yeah. So $500, are you buying a, first of all, I want to answer the question between, before I get to $500, yeah. video camera or DSLR? Like why, <laughs> why one or the other? Yeah. I mean, I personally think that a, well, we can get into more techie stuff, but there's, so right now in digital cameras, there's what there's called a mirrorless and there's a DSLR as far as interchangeable lenses. Um, and between those two, there are some differences, but it's the most versatile thing you can buy for both photo and video, um, especially the ones that are rolling out right now. Um, some of the video cameras are good, but again, you're kind of pigeonholing yourself into only shooting video and not really giving yourself an opportunity to, you know, take some incredible stills as well. Okay, sure. So, so regardless, you're going to, if somebody asks you, you're never going to recommend like, you know, just a video camera, you're going to say, go with a DSLR or mirrorless because you can take stills and video and yes. you're going to be much happier with that rather than just video. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some features like, you know, like a handy cam will have, you can get the Verizoom handle, which is basically a plug-in that will strap onto like the handle of your 
tripod head and you can like zoom if you're self-filming you can zoom in and hit record you know with your thumb on the handle instead of going up to the camera and you know zooming the lens in focusing it but for the most part for what you're going to get the most bang for your buck is yes i would definitely go dslr or mirrorless over over a lower end video camera Um, okay at least for at least for people who are doing it as a hobby yeah so for five hundred dollars uh so when you break down for anybody listening, for, when you break down a, a DSLR or mirrorless, you get the body and the lenses. So there's two parts to a, uh, a camera. And the first thing, like if you're going to spend $500, you could easily, I mean, it's not even a question to spend $500 on just the body. But if you want to spend $500 on both, then you're probably going to have to buy like a 300 to body that comes with two lenses that will bump the price up to roughly $500, right? Or maybe one lens, whatever. I mean, and for that price point too, like, well, and I guess this is another tip kind of across the board. I'm not at all afraid to buy used. Um, All of the lenses that I run right now, I bought used. Um, And they hold hold value pretty well. Um, But if you're kind of scrappy and you want to like wait out and check eBay and look at at, um, some like used camera, uh, equipment on camera store websites or something like that you can really get the price down and kind of get get a little bit more nitty-gritty with keeping it within your budget oh yeah for sure i can i can attest to that i had so for a while i ran uh 24 to 70 2.8 and a 70 to 200 2.8 and those are those lenses themselves like brand new are 1500 to like 2300 dollar lenses right i haven't looked at the prices but yeah. but yeah, I found both of those on Craigslist for about 800 to 1000 each and I had them for 4 years and then I sold each of them for like 700 to 900 bucks. So, I had them for 4 years and I only lost $100. Yeah. Um, I also I kept them in very very good condition, yeah. but at the same time, that's yeah, that is a that's a great point is going used and then keeping just keeping that value up. It's 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 not going to lose much value over time because a uh, 70 to 200 2.8 is a 70 to 200 2.8 <laughs> <laughs> yes right yep exactly yep yeah yep is not yeah so, okay that's definitely definitely something that i would look into and um i mean and especially like to the guys out there that are just getting started with photography and like maybe don't have gear yet or anything like that there's a lot you can do um i mean everybody has a smartphone on their pocket. One of the basic principles of photography is composition and the phone is an incredible tool for just practicing, you know, how you're framing up shots. Um, you know, it, it's so easy to do. You already have it and you can, I mean, especially with a brand new iPhone right now, it's definitely not going to be replacing a professional camera rig, but for a lot of guys, if you just kind of focus on some of those basic principles of photography, you can, you can learn a lot and you can create some pretty solid stuff with just what's in your pocket right now. Yeah, no, I got, I have, I will say I have a couple iPhone friends that think their iPhone's just as good as my phone, but (laughs) smile, just smile and nod. Right. Oh, okay. Yep. 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 (laughs) Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I definitely agree on that. Just like, you know, a lot of people, um, just need to under like I'm not a I'm not a phenomenal composition guy, but at the same time, just being able to practice those depth of field shots, yep, um, is pretty cool. And that depth of field, what I'm talking about, is having like something in the foreground right next to the camera in focus, and then the background blurry. A lot of people like that shot, and I know the new iPhone has like uh, two lenses on it, right? So it'll kind of like yeah, it's got a couple. It, you know, they they have those photos that they can do where it's in focus and then they actually like blur out the background or whatever. But if you really zoom in, you can kind of see the outline of it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. much. Not many of those are getting past me without me calling them out. But again, it's I mean, look what it is and what it's doing. It's still it's still pretty cool. And they've come a long ways, too. But right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to get started, Instagram. that's just like, yeah, flat out Instagram shots, you yeah. know, or just something like that. If you're trying to work on that. But, uh, okay. So then you got the $500 rig, you got the thousand dollar, $1,500. So like, you know, whatever you can start with, with a budget start there. And you know, if it's a thousand dollars, if it's $500, if it's $200, just start there. But then the next question 
um, I have for you is, is there a major difference between Sony, Canon, Nikon, um, Lum- what's the other one? Luminix? Luminetics? Lumix, yep. Yeah, Lumix. Yeah. Is there a major difference? Like, you know, what do you, what do you run and what are your preferences and how did you get to where you're at? Yeah. I mean, there isn't any brand that's going to, you know, kill you for sure. It's just Ford, Chevy, Toyota, you know, what's your kind of preference? What's your flavor that you're looking for? I started on Nikon for the first four or five years and then switched to Canon. Um, for, I guess the main reason was for video. Um, at that point in time, Canon kind of had the edge on video and I think for the most part they still do. Um, so Canon is kind of my preference. There's a lot of like details that <laughs> go along with, with all of this. Um, if you want to get really nitpicky, um, Canon's color science, which is like their actual, like the technology that's like driving how their images look, um, is just, I, I think it's one of the better ones out there. Um, Nikon's sure. for still images is really good too. Um, but Canon on the video side is pretty tough to beat when you're doing like a lot of color grading and a lot of correction and stuff like that. Um, but they can all, you can, you know, you can edit anything, you can kind of grade anything and get it to a point where they're looking pretty similar. Sure. No, that, and that makes sense. And that's one of the things. So like I have a Sony right now mm-hmm. and when I was comparing them, I had Canon, I ran a Canon 5d Mark three for a while. Um, and I bought it like two months before the Mark four came out and I was just like, <laughs> I should have looked at the rumor boards and everything first. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the, uh, so that's what I ran for a while. And then I switched to Sony. Um, one was a, just a weight thing, to be honest. Like it's just, it's just tiny and it's so much lighter and easier to pack. But mm-hmm. then the other thing was my hope, um, was that I could just run a single lens on it and this is getting a little bit i don't want to get into this yet but uh but i one of the things that everybody always said was that canon's color grading was better than sony's um and for me when i looked at it it's kind of like canon's at 100 percent, and sony's at like 95 and me being like semi-amateur i can't really tell the difference that much yeah but when you are professional and this is what you do for a living, like you, yeah, you're going to see it and you're going to notice it and you're going to be able to produce better color graded images from it. Um, and color grading is for people who don't know what that is. Like when you take a photo, um, you take a photo in what's called like a raw format. Well, why don't you explain it? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, um, well, I, to step back a little color grading, I mean, it can be for photos. I mean, you definitely work with color in your photos. I was referencing more to video, which is taking, oh, okay. um, you know, taking your video file and whatever editing software and kind of bringing the colors back to, you know, either the style that you want to or how they should look if your white balance or some of those specs were a little off or if you have to match shots. But yeah, um, so color grading and like color correction in photos would probably be the more correct term is just kind of, you know, making sure your skin tone is what it needs to be, making sure the, you know, the color in your highlights and your shadows is where you want it to be. And, um, there's really, everybody has a preference on, on what they kind of want things to look like. Um, all the stuff we do with captured, we just bring it back to realistic. Um, we don't put a spin. There's a lot of brands out there that kind of have a style, which is really cool. Um, yeah, but we work with such a wide variety of brands that, you know, kind of have already established as they, you know, they like what we do. So there's not really any natural big yeah. reason to change. Yep. <clears throat> sure. And yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. Cause there's a few photos whenever I'm just scrolling through like Instagram and I see it, I'm like, that's probably this dude's photo without even looking at it because yep. it's always like shit. It's always got, it's always darker. It's always kind of moody. You know, yep. it's always got like real dark blues in it. And yep. yeah, which is no, cool because it's as a photographer that gives you an identity, too. Um, so there's definitely right. nothing, nothing wrong with it. And I mean, I guess our photos have a style, too. They're probably a little bit more contrasty than most and and stuff as well. But yeah, there's really I mean, you just got to do it. <laughs> you got to yeah. kind of find no, yourself that, in it, yeah. too. And what I was kind of leading there was was exactly what you were saying. When when you take like a photo or even when you take video, when you put it into a video editing program or your photo editing program, 
what you're going one of the first things you're going to do is just work on the colors like make sure that the sun like if you want the sun to be orange or you want it to be red or you're you know you take the evening shots where you got all those purples in the sky like you want those to really pop and you can actually do that in video and photo editing software so yep. that's what that's what we're talking mainly about in the color grading and what he was saying is that Canon cameras like that purple, you can get more shades, you can get brighter pop, you can make it look better than if you had like a Sony. Those colors, you can just like just a little bit better, right? That's kind of in, in my opinion. There's probably Sony yeah, yeah, yeah. shooters out there oh, yelling yeah, at their yelling at their today. phone right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take them on. <laughs> no, no, that makes that makes total sense. It's exactly what you were saying earlier. Like that was a great analogy of Toyota, Chevy, Ford. Like it, it like. Everybody has their favorites, you know, even iPhones and Samsungs or Matthews versus Hoyt versus PSE versus Elite. Like everybody has their opinions on why something's better than another. And, and that kind of brings up a good point too. Like literally some of the physical aspects of cameras will lead you from one to another. Um, oh, one of sure. the first cameras that I ever picked up was a Nikon. And I just love, I still love the way that an Nikon feels in my hand compared to like a Sony mirrorless. And you get used to it for sure. Um, right. That is somewhat of a factor too, with button layout on the camera itself, and like you were saying, weight is a big thing too. If you know that you're going to be hiking, you know, 20 miles a weekend, you probably don't want the heaviest rig to bring with you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The Canon 1D Mark II. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Things, you could you could kill someone with that thing. You it's, threw it's a <laughs> it's a hammer. <laughs> um. So. Okay, so one of the other things that I like wanted to get into is so okay, we're going this DSLR route or this mirrorless route, and people are sitting here trying to pick what camera they want. Um, is it is it easy to switch? Like, if you buy a Canon this year and next year you want a Sony, is that something that's like very doable, or does it cost a lot, or what's the? Yeah, it's not. It's not the end of the world. I mean, definitely do your research and make sure that's what you want to do because it is a big hassle. But like what we were saying with the used gear, if you're patient and you kind of have time and take your time to sell what you have in order to switch, you're not going to be behind by much as long as you're staying in the same you know tier of gear that you're going to pick up for the other platform. Sure. Okay. So essentially, like, I just want to make sure that people know, like, if they buy Canon and they buy Canon lenses it doesn't mean that they're stuck in Canon. They can always, they can sell it for roughly, you know, maybe 80% of what they bought it for and then just switch yeah. over to whatever they're trying to buy now. Definitely, especially if, especially if you're buying higher quality stuff. If you're, you know, if all you have are kit lenses, you're not going to get much for those when you sell them. Um, okay. I had, I think I had one that I, it was like an 18 to 105 crazy range just beginner lens yeah and i think i ended up finally selling it for like 120 bucks so you're, okay. you're not gonna you're not gonna get too yeah. much for that stuff sure. but when you do invest in which is another point too if you're gonna invest in anything spend more money on your glass than your body because glass has a lot longer longevity as far as you know being relevant in the market than bodies do there's sure. new bodies coming out every three four years um replacing the previous model whereas lenses are going to be around for you know 10 to 12 years sometimes before they're replaced sure no that 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 makes a lot of sense um so then you just mentioned uh the kit lenses versus like you know kind of uh custom lenses or i don't even know what you call non-kit lenses it'd what be like more that? professional yep okay what are yeah what is the difference there yeah so a kit lens you're going to see it a lot in like the camera kits that you buy that you know come with the lens it's going to be a certain body plus a usually variable aperture zoom and what that means is your f-stop your aperture which controls um your depth of field um, and ultimately the light that comes through the camera because of it um on a professional lens, that's going to be fixed throughout the entire zoom range. So if you have a 24 to 70 millimeter 2.8 lens, you can shoot that lens, we call it wide open, at 2.8, which is going to give you a shallow depth of field all the way from 24 millimeters to 70 millimeters. On a kit lens, you could have, uh, I'll use the same example, an 18 to 105 millimeter lens, and your aperture is going to vary from 3.5 to like 
So as you zoom, you're going to lose um, your aperture as you go up. You're going to lose your shallow depth of field. You're going to your, lose your wider aperture um, as you go up the zoom range, which is going to result in um, having to compensate for that light because, uh, well, <laughs> not to get too technical. Right. In a camera, you've got your shutter speed. You've got your ISO, which is your camera's sensitivity to light. It sensors sensitivity to light. And you've got your aperture. And all three of those work to give you your exposure. So if you if there's a change in light, you have to change one of those things. And to keep you know the same setting for an aperture, let's say you zoom at let's say you're going to shoot with that same kit lens at 18 millimeters, and you're at 3.5, and you zoom up to uh, 105 at 5.6. So you can count the stops of light. So you're going to go on your aperture. It's going to go from 3.5 to 4 to 4.5 to 5.6 so you have to compensate for those stops of light with your shutter speed or your iso so you're going to have to let more light into the camera with either your iso or dropping your shutter speed in order to compensate for the loss of light with the aperture that you just had it sounds complicated once you do it you kind of <laughs> get a feel for it you can kind of you could do it with your eyes closed almost right um, no once but you, that's yeah. just it's one more, it's just one more thing, especially if you're shooting hunting stuff and you're going from, you know, in a tree stand, let's say that, you know, the, it's, uh, two hours before sunset and the light's dropping and you're trying to, you know, you shoot photos at, you know, five o'clock and then you don't touch your camera again until six 30, you're going to have to do something to compensate for that light, you know, dropping. So if you have like a, a variable aperture lens like that and you're you know you're zooming in you're going to lose that much more light that much quicker throughout the evening um, and you're also going to be losing your shallow depth of field that you would have had with a you know a quicker more wide open aperture sure yeah so and that's another thing like just uh there were all these and also when I was starting to learn also all there's this a stuff there's a big reason that I'm not like a photography teacher. <laughs> so feel, feel free to stop me and laugh at me. I'm way better at just doing it than I am explaining it. Right? <laughs> no, no. Like, I mean, when I was learning this stuff, people would be like, oh, you need a fast lens. Oh, you need a quick lens. And I'm like, what do you, like, the shutter speed's faster, you know? And it's like, oh, no. Yep. <laughs> like, I, yep. was, I was like, I thought that was a camera body thing. And it is like a, a fast, a fast lens or a quick lens is also another term for like a low, a low F stop, a low aperture lens. Correct. So which 2.8 is pretty low. Like you said, you mentioned earlier, you bought that Nikon with a, that was 50 millimeter and a 1.8. Yep. And when, uh, Jordan was talking about the depth of field again, it's the having stuff, a very small amount of uh, the image in focus. So if you ever look at those pretty cool shots where like maybe only the broad head is in focus and everything else is blurry, or maybe only like the guy's eye is in focus and everything else is blurry. Those shots are taking at a, at a very low aperture. So a 1.8, a 2.8, something in that range. And, uh, and if you want everything in focus, then you want a really high aperture. So like if you're shooting like big scenery things, then having your aperture at like a 12 or a 13 or a 14 or something will allow everything to be in focus. But as Jordan was saying, the higher the number, so like a 14 or a 15 or a 16, the less light that is going to come into that camera. So essentially you have to compensate for less light by increasing like or decreasing your shutter speed or increasing your ISO. And one one way like people can think about for hunters specifically uh, can think about uh, aperture or f-stop. It's the same thing is like a shotgun. The the lower the number, the bigger the barrel. So, you know, a 10 gauge is bigger than a 12 gauge is bigger than a 20 gauge. And that the bigger the barrel, meaning is the same as the bigger the hole in the camera the more light comes in. So like for whitetails, if you're trying to film the last 15 minutes of light, you can't have your aperture at like a 14 because it's a really small, narrow barrel and you're not going to get like any light in there. You need 
a high number or a really low number like a 2.8 or a 3.5 in order to get enough light in there and that's like that's the basis of aperture and then based on that then you got to figure out your shutter speed and your iso um so shutter speed matters a lot for well for me at least what do you do for shutter speed with video i set it twice the frame rate and leave it yep and i don't yep. move it. it's called the it's called the 180 rule so you okay. want your you know you base everything off the frame rate and then you whatever that frame rate is if it's 24 it'd be 48 for shutter speed dslrs don't have that so you round up to the closest which is 50 150th right or if it's 30 frames per second then you're at 60 yep. um so a lot of the a lot of the footage you guys see out there in the world right now like in the hunting industry and everything it's generally like 24 or 30 frames per second is generally where most people are at if you're at like if you see some really cool fun slow motion stuff then you're in that either 60 which is not that great a slow motion or what's most popular is the 120 right would you agree yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, there's various technical specs. It kind of depends on, you know, the frame rate you shot it in plus the frame rate that you're editing in. So a lot sure. of that 120 frame rate stuff that looks crazy when it's slowed down is edited. I mean, the most popular like cinematic frame rate for a timeline is 24 frames per second. Um, it's 23.9 something. Six. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's what that's what most of if you're going to the movie theater, you're watching a movie at 24 frames per second. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so and for people like I always had a hard time explaining to people that the shutter speed isn't your frames per second when you're doing video. So like your frames per second is actually set in the in the body camera body itself. So you get to go in there and you get to pick 24 frames per second, 30 frames per second, 60 or 120. And yep. then you also get to pick 1080 or 4K. Like you get to have those options. And some cameras like my uh my Sony right now, it can only do 124 120 frames per second in the 1080. So I can't do a 4K in that. Like that's just too much memory and my computer would blow up anyway trying to handle that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um which is a whole nother topic, like buying a laptop or a desktop that can even handle that yes. quality footage. I mean, you're talking a few grand just to get started. Like yep. if you really want to try to edit, like don't go out and buy, you know, the brand new, like what is like the Canon 5D Mark II and then expect to just run it on your regular laptop. Like you're not going to have good success. You're <laughs> probably going to start the thing on fire if you're <laughs> right? working yeah. with big files. Um, <laughs> So, so if you're doing video with a DSLR, you start with, you, you know, your frames per second, which most cameras, almost every camera will have 24 frames per second. So you want to set your shutter speed at 60. Um, if you're doing photos, can you, will you explain the shutter speed if you're doing photos? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess a good resource for everybody to look up to just, it's kind of a generic term, but it's called the exposure triangle. Um, if you just Google it, you can bring up an image and it kind of, it breaks it down visually for you. Um, and it shows how the three, you know, the three elements that we have here that are creating the exposure of the camera, which is aperture, shutter speed, and the ISO. Um, so with the shutter speed, the bigger number that you have for the shutter speed, the faster it's taking that photo. Um, if you want to get, you know, say you're, a good example would be shooting a baseball game and you want to freeze the baseball in the air as the pitcher is, you know, throwing it across the plate. You would want a really fast shutter speed, like one one thousandth of a second um, or quicker to freeze that motion. Um, and for the most part, for what everybody's doing, at least getting started, is going to be just freeze the motion. You don't want any motion blur in there. Um, it's a good way to learn. You don't have to worry about anything else. Um, and it also, the faster you have your shutter speed, it'll minimalize like handshake. Um, sure. you know, if you're having, if, if you are shooting with like a heavier lens or something, even it's sometimes you can cheat it up with the shutter speed just so you don't, you know, get those little shakes or whatever in there when you're shooting photos or when you're hiking up a mountain and you're gassed and you know that you can't sit still <laughs> because your, your lungs are busting out of your chest. Right. But, 
And you're um, full zoom and you need to take that photo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You feel like you're going to throw up because you're from the Midwest and you find yourself at 8,000 feet the next day. Yeah. That's, that's not from experience either. <laughs> I bet, man. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that's just one way to control, control light. And obviously the lower your shutter speed, you're going to, um, the, the actual like camera is taking more time to take that photo. Um, so more light is getting let through for a longer period of time while that shutter is opening and closing again in your camera. Okay. But the, yeah, so you get more light with a low shutter speed, like say 250, one over 250. Yep. You get more light in than one over a thousand, but you're also going to get more of like motion blur. So that baseball would look like, you know, a long white dot in the air versus a still baseball. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. So it's kind of so to that end, it depends on every single scenario. There's so many things that change, right? Yep. So if you're trying to shoot that baseball and get it still, like your first choice isn't your aperture. Your first choice is I need a high shutter speed, and then I need to base my aperture and my ISO off of that. Or yep. if you want to shoot like you know a river and you want it to look like milky water the whole way through then you want a really low shutter speed or actually like a even better option is like a, a night shot, like a, a yep. star night shot. Yep. Like then you're actually like going with a shutter speed. That's like five seconds. So yep. you need a timer for that. So you don't touch the camera because that's that blur. <laughs> yep. Right. So, um, so yeah, like those real cool night shots that people take with the stars and everything, those things are five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 second shutter speeds. So yeah. you're literally hitting the button and waiting 15 seconds for even it to even take the picture, but it also allows all that light to come in. Yep. And yeah. And most of mine will start at like 20 seconds. So you're sitting there oh, for a okay. little bit before you can see. Well, and it all depends on, you know, everything else. Right. But sure. Um, yep. Exactly. That's exactly right. So what and, do you set? So if you have your so if you have everything at 20 or if you have your shutter speed at 20, what are you running for your aperture? Do you like to keep that at like a six or higher? But if I'm like shooting stars, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to be shooting like stars or night stuff, I, my aperture is wide open depending on whatever lens. Oh, I have. so you're as low <laughs> as it can get. Yep. Yeah. So if I'm shooting okay. one of the lenses we have is a 16 to 35, 2.8. I'm going to be 2.8 for sure. Um, probably around 20 millimeters or so on the zoom range. And then I usually will start ISO at like 2000 for some of that stuff. Okay. And it, it kind of depends on the light pollution and in the area and stuff too. Sure. But usually, usually 2.8, 2000 ISO, and then like 20 seconds is where I'll start and then kind of make okay. tweaks from there. Gotcha. Which is a great lead in. So what is, what is ISO? What is that? So do? ISO, I couldn't tell you what it even stands for. So I... don't quiz, don't quiz me there. <laughs> um, it stems back from film cameras. Um, back when you loaded up a roll of film and you had your 26 exposures and you were locked in at whatever speed of film that you put in the camera. Very common one was like 400 speed film. Now with digital cameras, you can change that sensitivity of your ISO. Most cameras are start at like 100 and will go up to, a lot of them now go up to 12,800 ISO. Um, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just how sensitive is that sensor to the light that's being let through um, and creating that image. Um, so the darker it is, the higher you're going to crank up your ISO. Um, like those night shots when sometimes it's, you know, you can, you can't see half of the stars that are even there with your naked eye. But once you get your ISO up to 2000 and make that sensor, you know, really expose light well. Um, and with your slow shutter speed too, it'll reveal th those things to you. Um, and again, talking with the hey, triangle. Can you just sorry, yeah. Jordan. Can you repeat that? It just kind of cut out real quick. Yeah. Uh, um, when you you said uh, when you get that image, that sensor up to two thousand, then you can start seeing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. By the time you start, you know, cranking up your ISO, um, it's going to be more and more sensitive in low light environments. So with the stars, you know, you're going to be able to see even those little ones that you can barely see with your naked eye. Um, start to come through because of that sensitivity on the sensor um, and even the same with with motion stuff you know in a in a tree stand when it's the last 30 minutes of light and lights falling um, it's gonna you know you're gonna be able to push your ISO um, up and still keep your shutter speed you know for a fair amount of time at 
uh, speed that allows you to handhold without too much motion blur um, and be able to shoot photos while it gets dark. Um, sure. Which is a huge, I mean, one of the biggest advantages of digital cameras now. Um, not that I, not that my background extends to shooting professionally with film by any means, but <laughs> to not to not have to waste a roll of film to be able to throw in a you know different film speed is it's pretty cool and probably oh, yeah. something that a lot of us take for granted these days. <laughs> yeah, I've never even considered not having that capability. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so what is the what's the what's the disadvantages to ISO? Like, why won't you just keep it cranked all the time? Good question. <laughs> um, so as you as you go up, usually the lower your ISO is, the cleaner your image is going to be. As your ISO starts to go up, it's going to introduce grain. Um, and most, I mean, cameras these days handle it so well, but there's always going to be a tipping point of where an image is usable and unusable because of grain. Um, I shoot the 5D Mark IV. By the time I get up to like 8,000 ISO to 12,800, it really starts to fall apart on you as far as being usable. Um, okay. Just introducing a lot of grain. There's a lot of, you know, with that grain, you're going to kind of have weird ab abnormalities in the frame too. Um, sure. Just because it's working so hard to try to gather all of that light. Yeah. No, that, make, that makes sense. A, a good example I can think of off the top of my head is everybody's watched a hunting show where it's either super early in the morning or just at last yep. light. And this deer is coming in and it looks like there's like, you know, different like whites and grays and darks all over the screen and you can't really see a lot. That's what he's talking about with grain. That's they call it grain or they call it noise. Yep. Um, and the, like exactly how he said, if you have like your ISO around the 100, 120, you know, 240 mark, 360, your uh your pictures are going to look very clean. There's going to be like no grain and, uh, and especially like all the banners, the big banners that you see at like the ATA show and stuff, those are all shot in that really, really low ISO category because as you blow them up, that grain really becomes noticeable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. And there's definitely, right? I mean, too, we haven't talked about editing yet, but a big editing platform for photos is called Adobe Lightroom. And I mean, there's noise removal, sliders in there that you know you can you can push stuff pretty darn far and make it usable too even some of the stuff where you think you might not be able to use you can kind of end up you know either kind of getting rid of some of that noise or i mean a lot of times too you can kind of just embrace it you know a lot of cool there's a lot of cool black and white photos that are shot that are just super noisy but they've kind of got you know their own little attitude and flair to them that make them cool as well sure that makes sense so then, uh, so then with ISO, so you got your, your F stopper aperture, you got your shutter speed and your ISO. So, um, in general, like you want to keep your ISO low until you need to move it up. Is that, would that be accurate to say? Yeah. Yep. I, yeah. It's definitely one of the last things that I'll adjust and adjust right. it only when I need to. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's like kind of the basics. Those are in my brain. They're like three gears that always need to turn like with each other. Like yep. one's always affecting the other. Yeah. Um, I tried to, I had, I went out elk hunting in August of last year and I had two buddies in the car with me and it was like a 26 hour drive. And I spent about two hours like going, okay, here is <laughs> f-stop shutter speed and ISO just like trying to teach them on the run to to what things need to be and how it needs to go but yep. uh but yeah no that makes a lot of sense so then uh so if you're if we're talking about whitetail hunting specifically like we've said go with the dslr rather rather than a video camera purely because you have more capabilities of taking photos and video and then based on that you which one to go with nikon canon um, Sony, it doesn't really matter as long as you're happy with it and it fits in your price range. Right. Yep. So exactly. How do I like, where would I even start? Like to look at, um, like if I want to look on Craigslist, like if I want to look used, yep. do I, like, how do I find out? Like, do I buy a Nikon D 7,000? Do I buy like, yeah. like what bodies am I looking for? Yeah. Um, how do I figure that out? 
so there's i just type in dslr camera and see what comes up and then (laughs) yeah you probably you probably could you probably could i mean if you're so keeping with the budget thing um a great place to kind of start looking is bnh photo Um, they're one of the biggest camera companies in the country they sell everything um they also have a used department right online that we buy stuff from all the time um and i mean from there too like you can get into there's full frame mirrorless in dslr which is based off of again a film camera it's a 35 millimeter sensor um it's a it's a big bigger sensor that's going to give you more flexibility with low light um and it just you know it's a it's basically what professionals are going to use for the most part then you have what's called crop sensor or as ASPC, I think it's called. Yeah, I, think I always just right. call it yeah. crop crop sensor. Yeah, um, which is going to be kind of more of your lower end um, and beginner cameras, and they're great. It's what I started with. Um, it's a let me. I think a full frame sensor is one point five times the size of a crop sensor, so it's that much smaller. Yeah. Uh, which also means on like a professional lens, it's going to take your twenty four millimeter like lens and bring it up to a thirty five. So there are kind of some, you could almost view that as an advantage too. You're going to get a little bit more reach out of your glass, um, but it's not going to handle low light quite as well as a full frame. Um, So that's just kind of a snippet, I guess. A lot of your cheaper and like beginner cameras are going to be that crop sensor. Um, What would you say like the dollar threshold is to get the full frame? I mean, roughly. To get into full frame, I mean, you're probably looking at two grand with glass. Okay. Um, Depending on how good of a... Yeah, yeah, I bet you could... If you could... If you look used, um, there's a lot of good cameras. Nikon D750. um, I mean, even some of the Sonys, you know, are starting... As as they're aging a little bit, they're starting to drop in price. Um, Yeah, yeah, Canon D6. I mean, a 5D... is another one. A 5D Mark II... Or a 5D Mark III is probably going to be around a grand. Yeah. You know, just yep, the body. Can, yep. Yeah, Canon 5D. Like, that's, I ran that for a long, I love that camera. That was yeah. a phenomenal camera. And you yep. have the Mark IV. So maybe if you guys look on B&H and you see it's a Sony or a Canon 5D Mark IV, you might want to Google 5D Mark III, 5D yep. Mark II. Like, they're kind yeah. of the previous versions. And then you but... can kind of usually look through you know, like B and H is a good one. I like them because they have their specifications for the camera laid out so well and they're super clean. Oh, so nice. if you're if you kind of comparing like, ah, oh, do I want to spend the money on this, you know, a seven three or the a seven two, you know, you can kind of pull them up side by side and see what upgrades the a seven three is going to have over sure. the a seven two and kind of make up your mind from there. Yeah, no, I actually did that between the a seven S, uh, and the a seven. Yeah. You know, just, what do I want? And I just, I have no need for the 24 megapixels versus, you know, my 12 or whatever I have yep. on mine. Yep. Um, but, uh, okay. So then, so then you're finding your camera and then is there, what is the, if I don't want to buy two lenses, what is the <laughs> one lens you would recommend? For whitetail hunting, if you're going to be in a tree stand, uh, 24 to 70 is kind of the money. It's you can shoot okay. wide, you know, establishing stuff with it. You can pull into 70 and get a little bit tighter. Um, and like I said, if you're on a, a crop sensor camera, that's going to give you that much more reach. You're going to lose some of the wide end, but um, it would still it's still probably the most versatile lens that you can get out there. OK, yeah, no, I, I love that lens. I so I had the 2470 and then I had the 70 to 200. My problem with that was like if I put on the 7200 and I wanted to do like an interview, I'd have to flop out, you know, swap them out all yep. the time. So right now, and I've recorded one season with it and it doesn't have as much reach as I want it to, but it does well for a single lens, which yep. is uh, the 24 to 105 F4. Yep. So that one for me, like, I don't like the F4 and I have, I'm just praying. I don't have anything to come in, in the last five minutes of light. Like I need to get it like the last 20 (laughs) minutes of light. Yep. Otherwise I probably won't be able to get it very well, but, um, but it does give me uh, a versatile range. So it gives me 105 roughly gets you about to a good shot on a deer at like 25 to 30 yards is like 105. 
a yeah. 70 is probably like that 20 to 25 yard range. You're kind of like getting close. And and if you film in 4k, obviously you can zoom in and you yep. can make that image bigger and you can make it bigger anyway, just in premiere pro, it just gets like grainy and get a little distorted as you blow it up for sure. Um, so that's always like, I filmed one hunt on YouTube. The deer was at 25 yards. I was doing an interview and I saw him coming in. So I had to flip <laughs> it and it was the 24 to 70, but I did, I was able to magnify. I was able to scale it up like 130% yep. to bring that deer closer. So it kind of made it seem like I was shooting not with a 70 millimeter lens, but I got up to like a 90 or something like that. And it worked yep. out. Like, I mean, I don't, I've never seen nobody comments like, ah, a little grainy <laughs> yeah like and that. yeah for but, stuff uh, like that too if you're self-filming and putting it on youtube youtube compresses it so much anyways that by the time it's uploaded like it's as long as you're cautious with it you're you're probably fine um we shoot a lot of our stuff 4k or 5k depending on the camera that we're using and obviously that offers a little bit more flexibility too yeah. so if you if you can <laughs> and you have enough hard drive space and you want to try shooting 4k definitely go for it because it can kind of save your tail in the edit as far as being flexible but sure and being able to move it around yeah yep yeah um so and that's that's one of the other things is like if you if you have 4k but one of the other things people don't realize is a lot of 4k video is also is it you're saying because it's then edited in like a 1080 setting so yep. your frames actually like bigger than the setting it's going to show so you can actually move Yep. that around and blow it up and you're not going to lose any quality. Correct. Right. Yep. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah. So, and that is, that is one thing, but again, like Jordan said, you got to have the, you got to have the hardware on your computer to be able to handle it. I know yep. like my laptop was $1,400. It's pretty good specs. And, um, I've ran a few 4k files through it and it bogs it down pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And get so, ready to stack up hard drives. On my desk right now, just from last fall, I have 30 terabytes worth of hard drives just from footage from between <laughs> August and December. So <laughs> it'll, it'll stack I'm up quick. I'm complaining because I just filled up my first hard drive. That's one terabyte. <laughs> You'll get there. Oh my God, I might have to buy another one. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so anyway, I'm just trying to recap. So you're going to find your lenses. So the yeah, the 24 to 105 f4 was 1300 bucks brand new. You can bet you can find it cheaper, but the 24 to 70 is a great lens. If you're looking for like long range photography just to be able to like get those really close deer pictures, you're probably looking at like a 400 or a 200 or greater, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's some decent ones. Uh, Tamron has a 150 to 600 variable aperture. Um, but I, I can't think of the price off the top of my head. It's less than a couple grand. Um, and a good point to bring up too, is there's rental houses out there that you can get some of this gear for pretty reasonable. If you're willing to willing to do that, um, lensrentals.com and borrowlenses.com are two that we use all the time. Um, and you can get into some of, you know, you can rent a $12,000 lens for, you know, a couple hundred bucks at a pop, depending on how many days you're using it. Oh, no, that's a great idea. That way, if you're like, if you're going on an elk hunt or something like that for a week and you just want yep. this lens just for a week, you yep. just rent it. Yeah. And right? even if you're apprehensive about, you know, buying a camera and you want to test it out first, you know, rent, oh, a, sure. rent a kit for a weekend for, you know a couple hundred bucks versus spending a couple thousand and make sure it's what you really like. And, and I think both of those rental houses too do like a rent to own, I believe. Like if you, oh, you know, nice. if, if you like it anyways, and if it's in decent condition, some of the rental stuff gets a little, I mean, they never send anything that's unusable. Some of it, you know, it's, it's run through a lot of hands throughout the year, but it's just, a, it's a great, <laughs> sure. it's a great resource to really get a good feel for stuff without having to pony up the whole, the whole cost Everything. all at once. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a great idea. I gotta, I want to start doing that just with some bigger lenses and some other unique, cause you can, you, you can rent more than just cameras too. You can rent lenses or you can rent tripods, yep. you can rent lights, you can rent all sorts of stuff. Exactly. Yep. For, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So we got kind of the, the cameras, the lenses, um, batteries work well. Uh, do you guys run a camera arm in a tree stand? Depends on the project. Um, okay. When I, so I shot, we shot the 
back 40 for meat eater last year. Um, and we were running some pretty big camera rigs that we used arms for, um, just because it was for a series, we had to do interviews and kind of the whole top to bottom, everything for a show like that. But there's definitely times if we're just on a commercial shoot that an arm just really isn't flexible enough to use in a tree to get some of those more creative shots. Um, I mean, definitely for the most part, if you're doing it to hunt and if you're doing it to capture a hunt and, you know, deer coming in an arm is the way to go. Um, sure. It just kind of depends, depends on use, but yeah, not every time, but a lot of the times we'll, we'll bring them out. Okay. So if you're using one, do you have a brand that you guys like? Uh, not really. We've got a couple muddies, a couple fourth arrow, um, okay. arms. We've got their big pro one that we put our red on just to make sure that it's, it's not going to sure. fall out of the, fall out of the tree. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, there's definitely pluses about, you know, especially fourth arrow. They seem to have things pretty dialed. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I have this new one that I got picked up. I pre-ordered it um, from a guy named Modern Assassin. Okay. He's, he's kind of a, a redneck, redneck, like <laughs> rock and roll type dude. Um, but the camera arm is pretty fantastic. I like it a lot. It's very similar to a fourth arrow, except uh, you don't need like the key that comes with the fourth arrow. You know that you don't yep. need that. It's built into the harness and it's just a it's smaller it's meant for small dslrs or yep. handy cams is what it's meant for you're not putting a red on that thing at yeah all, which is right? a good thing to note too make sure you yes. know the weight of your camera before you order an arm and, and trust that yes. it's going to hold it 30 feet in the air <laughs> yep yeah because i had when i was running the 70 to 200 plus my 5d mark three that was a heavy heavy yeah. setup and i actually bought the pro arm from fourth arrow just to run that because just your standard one it was working the stiff arm but uh but like when you reach that arm all the way out it start to lean pretty good yep. Yep. so i just wanted that pro so it wouldn't lean so much yeah but uh <laughs> but yeah no that makes sense um all right well no i think that covers a ton of it i think that gets like everybody off on the right foot anybody who's thinking about cameras like there you go. And if um, and if you have any other questions, where can people find you, Jordan? Yeah, you can find me I'm on Instagram more than anything. Jordan S. Riley is my handle. And then Captured Creative is the business handle. You can find um, our other guys, Taylor Coleman and Hunter Root over there, too. And they're both wizards with the camera, too. So, yeah. OK, so just find you on Instagram and then um, and you do commercial work. Right. So do you only work in the hunting industry or do you work outside of it? Um, right now it's pretty much all in the hunting industry. Um, okay. We used to do more like local commercial stuff, but now we're kind of spread out to being busy enough to where we're just kind of focusing on, on this and yeah, it's fun. It's yeah. pretty cool do to you, be able to work in the space. I bet. Do you just travel all the time? Uh, not as much as people would think. Like I've been okay. at home editing both photos and video pretty much full-time since mid-December and I haven't gone on any any work trips at all oh dang um we're supposed to be on one starting today actually but it got it got pushed back due to the world COVID going crazy yep yep but yeah I mean kind of as you'd expect a majority of our travel falls between August and December coinciding sure. with hunting seasons and and that sort of thing yeah do you have any like exciting projects coming up that you're that you're pretty excited about like a turkey hunt or any sort of spring bear or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. We actually have a I don't know when this podcast is going to air but on April 1st we're releasing a film with First Light um on one of their pro staff guys. We shot it last February and um pretty nice. pretty fun on pretty fun on to shoot and shoot and edit. So that'll be coming out a week from today actually as of not uh not an April Fools joke, huh? Not even a joke. <laughs> yeah, that we're pretty, was probably pretty the proud latest of that one I've so. ever made. That's <laughs> <Nah>, okay. <laughs> okay. No, that's awesome. Um, okay. So yeah, that project's coming out. Or do you have any turkey hunts plans or that you guys are working on or going to film or yeah, anything like um, that? Nothing really super specific. We'll definitely be out there, you know, working with okay. companies, but no, no really big projects of note, I guess. Um, yeah, you'll, as the seasons change, you'll see our content on our pages change and that yeah, whole thing too. Sure. So. 
okay but yeah other than that we'll be we're firing up back 40 season two with meat eater here as soon as we can fly out to michigan again and and shoot hopefully hopefully that's sooner rather than later yeah <laughs> yeah i bet um how is it working with those guys is it fun oh it's a blast yeah they're yeah they're super good guys they're all super knowledgeable and and the project itself too is i i mean i grew up whitetail hunting and everything so it's it's so familiar and it's so eye-opening at the same time to be a part of a project like that is is really cool so definitely definitely check that out if yeah if anybody hasn't yet it was a fun one to do last year and we're excited to hit it again yeah i can only imagine you're just like soaking up all that residual knowledge like you're there filming but you just get to hear everything and learn everything right there yeah yeah that's definitely what it is too i mean mark kenyon is uh, he just know he knows a lot and he's like really good at learning at the same time so as he brings in people to help him with projects it's just it's i've never looked at whitetail property like whitetail hunting property the way that i have since we started filming it it's it's really there definitely have been times where i've been behind the camera just like shaking my head and nodding and going man i never thought of you know never thought of how bees could impact you know the landscape or just little little sure. things like that that really kind of really change and it's yeah it's cool it's really no cool. that's awesome all right man well hey i appreciate having you on and everything and for everybody listening go find go find jordan on instagram tell him that you listen to this podcast you think it's awesome and then give him a follow <laughs> <laughs> yeah sounds right. good yeah all right well you know i'll i guess i'll talk to you later man sounds good thanks so much man you bet